This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Everybody today, my name's Austin and I'll be doing another chapter of David Williams's Bad Dad. We are on chapter 32. What go- goes up must come down. The excitement immediately turned to terror as Frank realised they were heading to their doom. With Dad's false legs stuck on the accelerator pedal, Queenie was going faster and faster and faster. Hold on, mate, said Dad as he clambered over the back seat into the front. As he did so, his stump bashed fingers, long pointy nose. Watch what you were doing with that thing, snapped the fingers. Sorry, called out Dad. He wiggled his way and that to heave himself forward. Frank swerved the car, the car as it went round a roundabout faster than lightning. This caused Dad to tumble back, his bottom squashed right into the finger's face. Ugh, watch what they're doing with that thing, shouted the henchman. Sorry, called out Dad as he thrust his bottom back onto the man's face so he could launch himself forward into the passenger seat. Oof! He cried, sliding down into the front of the mini. Still, the car just kept going faster and faster and faster. Frank was clinging onto the steering wheel, staring forward into the dark road ahead of them. He didn't dare blink. Now, they'd reached the countryside. There were no streetlights. It was real country darkness. The road had narrowed into a single lane with high hedgerows, high hedgerows on each side. If there was a car coming the other way, they would all be done for. Overhead, they could hear pol- the police helicopter still following them. Kill the lights! Ordered Dad. The boy flipped the switch, and the car's headlights were turned off, and no one could see them. And they couldn't see anything either. Soon, the sound of the helicopter overhead became fainter. I think we lost them now. For the last time, stop the car, shouted Think Fingers. I'm trying, replied Dad. And he bashed at its own wooden leg with his fist. But it just wouldn't budge. Way ahead in the distance, the boy could make out something on the road. Something pink, something fat, something piggy. It was a pig! Pig! shouted Frank. Not sure what else to say on seeing a pig. How dare you! cried Thumbs. It must have escaped from one of the farms by eating its way through the hedge. Perhaps the sound of the helicopter whirring overhead had startled it. No, not you. There's a pig on the road. Run it over, said Fingers. I 
can't kill a pig, shouted the boy. You eat pork, don't you? yelled Fingers. Yes. Well, then you can run over a pig. Thumbs looked amused. Fingers, does pork come from a pig? Yes, shouted Fingers. Oh, you learn something new every day. I've done it said Dad as he whacked the wooden leg off the accelerator pedal and he scrambled down the drift footwell and thumped the brake pedal as hard as he could. It was too hard. The car's back wheels shot up and the mini somersaulted through the air. <sighs> ah! screamed everyone as they flew for what seemed like minutes but must have been seconds. Through the windscreen, Frank looked down and stared into the pig's eyes. Both his eyes and the pig's were wide open with horror. (laughs) The cow was flying upside down through the air. Of course, what goes up must come down. The car skimmed over edge before landing in a field on its roof. Or four passengers were dangling upside down as the car skidded backwards across a field full of cattle. The cows were all lying down asleep until the sight of an upside down mini speeding along the wet grass rudely woke them up. Moo! Moo! Mooed the cows as they desperately clambered up to get out of the way. All four inside the car stared out the back windscreen. A tall tree was fast approaching. Tree! shouted Thumbs. Yes, we've seen it, said Fingers. Slam the brakes! shouted Thumbs. We're upside down, said Dad. Oh yeah, replied Thumbs. Bye guys, have a nice day. Hey guys, it's Lily and today we'll be reading The Bad Guides, Episode 3, Chapter chapter 6, The Secret Agent. Who are you? My name is Special Agent Fox, Mr. Shark, and I'm very pleased to meet you. I'm afraid you boys have stumbled into a very dangerous situation. Dr. Rumpet Marmalade is one of the most despicable (laughs) villains on the face of the earth. We've been trying... We've been on his trail for years, trying to catch him in the act. It seems we've finally done it. Who's we? I'm an agent for the International League of Heroes. We're a secret global organisation sworn to protect the Earth from evil. And that is what we do. Hey, that's kind of what we do. Isn't it, Wolfie? Wolfie, what's up with him? So awesome, so pretty. I'm not sure what's happening. Never mind. We are the Good Guys Club, Agent Fox, at your service. Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, yep. The Good Guys Club? Is that what you call yourselves? Yep. We sat up all night trying to think of the stupidest name in the 
in the history of stupid names, and bam, there it was. Oh, I don't think so. I think it's rather cute. But I'm afraid you're a little out of your depth here, boys. Your antics at the chicken farm made old Dr. Marmalade here obsessed with you. But don't worry, we'll have him soon, safely locked up. Won't me, Mama? Oh, dear. Has anyone seen where the supervillain went? Right here, Agent Fox. Whoops, that's unfortunate. And I do hope you enjoy the end of the world. Hee hee, clunk. My secret weapon has been released, and it's on, a, on its way, on its way. Can you guess what it is? Hee hee, foof. Oh, and just to make things a little more interesting, this building will self-destruct in 19, 90 seconds. 89, 88, 87, 86. Hmm, the old disappearing upper great big bendy tube trick. That's disappointing. 76, 75, 74, 73. Well, the building is about to blow and we have seconds to live. Any ideas, gentlemen? Thank you. Long ago there lived a king and queen who had no children, which made them very sad. Then, one day, the queen was delighted to find she was going to have a baby. She and the king looked forward with great excitement to the day of their first child's birth. When that day came, a lovely daughter was born, and they arranged a large party for her christening. They invited many guests, including twelve fairies, as they felt certain the fairies would make wishes for their little daughter. At the christening party, the guests and the fairies all agreed that the princess was a beautiful baby. One fairy wished for the gift of happiness for her, another beauty, others wisdom, health, goodness, contentment. Eleven fairies had made their wishes when suddenly... The gates of the castle flew open and in swept a thirteenth fairy. She was furious that she had not been invited to the christening party. And as she glared at the other fairies, a shiver ran down everyone's spine. All felt her evil spirit. She waved her wand over the baby and cast not a wish but a terrible spell. On her sixteenth birthday... She hissed. The princess will prick herself with a spindle and she will die. A terrible hush fell over the king and queen and their guests. Now the twelfth fairy had not yet made her wish. She had been going to give the gift of joy to the baby. But now she wanted to save the princess. Her magic was not strong enough to break the wicked spell, but she could weaken its evil. So she wished that the princess, instead of dying on her sixteenth birthday, would fall asleep for a hundred years. As she grew up, the princess became the happiest, sweetest and most beautiful child anyone had ever seen. It seemed as though all of the wishes of the first eleven fairies had come true. 
The king and queen hoped to prevent the wicked fairy spell from working by making sure the princess never saw a spindle. All spinning was forbidden everywhere, and all the cotton and wool in their country had to be sent away to be spun. For their daughter's sixteenth birthday, the king and queen decided to give a party in the castle. They felt sure that there would be no chance of her finding a spindle there on the day. People came from far and near to the grand birthday ball for the princess, and a magnificent feast was provided. After the guests had eaten and drunk as much as they wanted and danced in the great hall, the princess asked if they could all play her favourite childhood game, hide and seek. She ran off to a far corner of the castle, and found herself climbing a spiral staircase in a turret she did not remember even noticing before. They will never find me here," she thought as she crept into a little room at the top. To her astonishment, there was an old woman dressed in black and sitting on a stool spinning. "What are you doing?" asked the princess as she watched the twirling spindle. She was puzzled as she had never seen anything like it anywhere in the kingdom. "Come and see," replied the old woman. She pulled strands of wool from the sheep's fleece on the floor, and twisting it neatly with her fingers, she fed it through the spindle. The princess was fascinated and edged nearer.、Oh, "Would you like to try?" asked the old woman cunningly. The princess forgot all about playing hide and seek and picked up the spindle. As she did so, she pricked her thumb. With a small cry, she fell to the ground, as though dead. The wicked fairy spell seemed to have worked after all. But so did the twelve fairies' wish. The princess did not die, but fell into a deep, deep sleep. The spell worked on everyone else in the castle too. The king and queen slept on their thrones in the great hall. The guests dropped off to sleep as they played hide and seek, and in the kitchen the cook fell asleep with her hand raised to box the pot boy's ears. All over the castle, a great silence descended. As time went by, a thorn hedge grew up around the castle. Passers-by wondered what lay behind the hedge. But no one now remembered the castle where the king and queen had lived with their lovely daughter. Sometimes curious travellers tried to force their way through, but the hedge was so prickly that they soon gave up. One day, many, many, many years later, a prince came riding past. He too marvelled at the thorn hedge, which had now grown very tall and thick. An old man told him a story he had heard as a child long ago about a mysterious castle there, and the prince became curious. He decided to cut his way through the thorns. To his surprise, the hedge seemed to open out before his sword, and very soon the young prince was inside the grounds. He ran across the gardens into the lovely old castle. Everywhere he looked. In the great hall, in the kitchen, in the ballroom, and on the staircase, he saw people asleep. 
he hurried through many rooms until he found himself climbing a winding stair to an old turret. There, in the small room at the top, he was startled to discover the most beautiful girl he had ever seen. She was so lovely that without thinking, he knelt down and gently kissed her. The spell was broken. The princess opened her eyes and fell in love there and then with the prince. She told him what had happened and he kissed her again. Together they came down the turret stairs and saw that the castle was coming alive. In the great hall, the king and queen were stretching and yawning, puzzled and worried that they had dropped off to sleep during their daughter's party. Their guests, too, were shaking their heads, rubbing their eyes and wondering why they felt so sleepy. In the kitchen, the cook boxed the potboy's ear. Outside, horses neighed, dogs barked and birds burst into song. The hundred-year spell had been completely broken. The princess told her parents that she truly loved the handsome young man who had kissed her. The king and queen gave the couple their blessing and a grand royal wedding was arranged. The twelve good fairies who had come to the christening were invited once more and everyone rejoiced to see the happiness of the prince and princess. Towards evening, they rode off together to their new home in the prince's kingdom where they lived happily ever afterwards. The Thirteenth Fairy was never seen again. In ancient Arabia lived a man called Ali Baba, who had a wicked brother, Kazim. Ali Baba was poor but content, but Kazim was thin and mean and cruel with sharp, darting eyes. 
Ali Baba worked hard for his wife, bringing home what food he could to their small house in the town, sometimes going out to the woods to see if he could catch a small rabbit for their supper. One day in the woods, Ali Baba heard the rumble of horses riding towards him, and he hid so as not to be found poaching. Forty thieves on horseback, with long swords and black masks, came riding by, stopping at the foot of a giant rock wall. Open sesame! cried the masked leader of the thieves. And to Ali Baba's amazement, the giant rock wall opened before them to reveal a large dark cave inside. The riders entered the cave, and Ali Baba again heard the cry of "Close sesame!" from inside the cave, as the giant rock wall closed behind them. Ali Baba waited until dark to see if the thieves came back out. And just as the moon reached the dark night sky, the rock wall again opened, and out rode the thieves. Close sesame! cried the leader as the horsemen rode off into the night, and the rock wall closed behind them. Ali Baba wanted to see for himself what was inside, and when the sound of the horses had gone, he came out from his hiding place and walked towards the rock wall. <clears throat> Open sesame! He called out, and once again the giant rocks parted before him to reveal the dark cave. Carefully at first, Ali Baba entered the cave, and there before him was a cave full of gold, golden coins, golden candlesticks, golden cloth, and golden brooches. There was more gold in the cave than any man could dream of. Surely they will not miss a small bag of coins, thought Ali Baba. After all, they're only thieves. Ali Baba took a small bag and filled it with gold coins to take home to his wife. Close sesame! He shouted again and ran off into the darkness towards his home. Hello, Ali. You're out late tonight. What are you holding there under your coat? Came a voice from the darkened street corner as he ran. It was Kazim, Ali Baba's wicked brother. Why, just some nuts I've collected from the wood, replied Ali. They look very heavy. Let me see," said Kazim suspiciously, tugging at Ali's coat to see the bag, which fell to the floor with a clatter. The gold coins spilled out on the pavement in front of Kazim, whose eyes lit up when he saw them shining in the moonlight. Hmm. Show me where you got these, or I'll turn you in," said Kazim wickedly. From a cave in the woods," replied Ali nervously. "Take me there," said Kazim, holding Ali by the collar and pushing him down the street. When they reached the place, Kazim could see no cave, and he became angry. "Don't fool around with me, Ali Baba! I see no cave!" he snapped. "Then watch," said Ali. "Open sesame!" 
Once again, the rock wall opened and Kazim entered the cave, spellbound by the treasures before him. Ali was too frightened to stay in case the thieves returned and shouted, Close Sesame! Trapping the wicked Kazim inside the cave, and he ran off back into the town. And return they did. Kazim was shouting inside the cave, Open um, barley! Open uh, wheat! Open oats! Open anything! He couldn't remember the magic words, and when he heard the cry of Open Sesame! From outside the cave, there was no escape for Kazim, as the forty thieves stood outside. Who dares to enter the cave of the thieves? boomed the voice of the wicked masked captain, the leader of the thieves. Tell us how you came to our cave, or you will die. Kazim was never seen again in the town, and nobody knows what happened to him. But the wicked captain did find out about Ali Baba and made his plans to find him. He came into the town with his thieves one day, pretending to be an oil merchant. The forty thieves were hidden inside forty earthenware jars, waiting to spring out on Ali Baba as he passed by. Oil for your lamps and oil for your fires! Oil for your lamps and oil for your fires! called the wicked captain as he led his cart into the town. But Ali's young slave girl, Margiana, spotted the captain and knew him at once. She knew that he was coming for Ali Baba, and she went to make her plans. The wicked captain parked his cart in the corner of the marketplace nearest to Ali Baba's house and waited for night to fall. Margiana was waiting for them with her own jars of boiling oil. Oil for your lamps and oil for your thieves, she shouted as she poured the boiling oil into the jars and onto the forty thieves inside. Only the wicked captain escaped into the night. I owe you my life, Margiana, said Ali Baba when he heard what had been done. You are still in danger, my lord. The wicked captain has escaped. You must lock your doors and close your shutters and keep the night alone at home. But I am in no danger, sweet Margiana, replied Ali, but I thank you for saving my life. And with that, Ali Baba went to his house, where sat a man in a long, dark robe. Who are you? said Ali Baba. So you are the infidel, growled the dark captain. You entered the cave and stole my gold. Now you will die. The evil captain stood up and drew a long steel blade from under his robes. Now you will die like your brother Kazim. The captain lunged forwards with his sword. Ali Baba was trapped. Now it's your turn, came a voice from behind the curtains. It was Margiana who'd come to the rescue of her master. The curtain was torn back, and before the evil captain had time to turn on her, she had broken her last oil jar over his head, and he lay motionless on the floor. Sweet Margiana, said Ali Baba, that's twice in one day that you've saved my life. What can I do to repay you? Margiana was freed, and married Ali Baba's son, and Ali Baba grew to be a happy old grandfather.
This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.